encourage you tonight, I want to talk to you about keeping your peace when, in, in, a crazy, in a world gone crazy. Amen. Keeping your peace in a world gone crazy. Um, I don't need to tell you this. It's no shock, I'm sure. But the world has just lost its corporate mind. I mean, it's collectively just gone crazy. You know, the Bible says, and this is a prophecy that I think a lot of times people forget, the Bible specifically says that in the last days, men will call that which is evil good and that which is good evil. There was a woman on, on Facebook today who was an, uh, an abortion doctor, and she was laughing and joking and making comments about how she liked the moments when she could exercise her biceps by pulling a fetus out of the womb that had been aborted. I kid you not. Uh, and California today, I hate, to, I hate to go political, but California today, rather than, rather than pass laws that would punish Planned Parenthood for the horrible things that these undercover video, videographers have uncovered, they passed a law today to punish undercover video in California. So now it's against the law to go undercover video somebody so that Basically, it's all about Planned Parenthood, so that Planned Parenthood, the horrible things they do, can't be exposed. It's just, uh, the world's going crazy. America's at the tip of the spear with that. It's not a good thing. So I want to talk to us tonight, and, and I had to live through this, and I had to put into practice today, because today was one of the most irritating days, seemed like I've had in a long time. So I've had to put into practice today what I'm going to preach to you tonight. Let me give you a little taste of... Uh, my day was okay until I had to go to town from where I live. It sounds like I live 40 miles out, but I don't. But I had to come to, to Douglasville proper to get some stuff. And I, I started noticing that, that every red light was, was red when I got to it. So I started paying attention. I kid you not, every single red light caught me today. Every one. And then when I was driving and I would be at the red light, a couple of them caught me twice because these drivers in the cars ahead of me were doing something other than driving and the light would turn green and you, you sit there and you can't when, when I'm in the front car and the light turns green I do a quick glance <laughs> I'm across there man I don't want to hold anybody up the guys in front of me today were like 1001 1002 uh, I just couldn't believe it it, it was very irritating to me. Now, I have, I have not sinned. I didn't, in my mind, I did not shoot at anybody in my mind. I did not hurl insults or curse. But I got to tell you, after so many little incidences like that, just being honest, it was very irritating. And then to top it all off, I actually had to go to Walmart. <laughs> I go to Walmart. I know we all probably do. But, man, I'm telling you, I don't like to go to Walmart. But, I mean, you have this gigantor department store, and you got two people checking out customers. It's just unbelievable. I know how they're going to fail if they don't start hiring some more cashiers. So I had to not only buy their products, I had to check myself out and bag my own little stuff to get out of the store. So... It was, it was not intolerable, and I know, I'm, I know these are first world problems I'm talking about. But it doesn't matter what it is. If it's the sound your dog makes when he coughs up a hairball, 
if it's the sound of your wife chewing, if, if, it's, the, if it's whatever it is, if it irritates you, it irritates you. And what we're going to talk about tonight is how to keep your peace in a world gone crazy. John chapter 14, verse 21. 27. John 14, 27. Jesus is speaking. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. It's, it's very clear in that statement. Do not let your hearts be troubled. That letting our hearts be troubled is a choice that we can make. So let's, let's look at several points that I prayerfully came to several days ago for tonight and had to actually put it into practice. You ever heard the old saying, practice what you preach? Well, I sure had to do that today. And there were several other little things that happened that I don't have time to go into. But how to stay peaceful in a crazy world is the title of this. How to stay peaceful in a crazy world. Number one, there can be no real peace apart from God. We all know that, but it's always important to reiterate it. There can be no real peace apart from God. Over time, it is, it is evident with attention spans, it is evident with studies of the human intellectual animal that cognitive drift takes place over time. And cognitive drift is basically another way of saying people stop paying attention. They don't keep focused. Uh, we don't think things are, are germane to life anymore unless we come up with a new way of saying it. And after you've lived a little while, you realize people are just saying the same things over and over and over. They're just coming up with different ways to say it, new ways to put the words together so they think it's a new thing. It's nothing new. It's called paying attention. My father told me he loved me more than anything else, but right up under that, running a close heat second, was, son, keep your mind on what you're doing. He said that to me, if I just had a dollar for every time. There can be no real peace apart from God, and I'm not talking about apart from coming to church or believing in God. I'm talking about the Lordship of Christ. Now, that's very important to understand. We can believe in God. We can have a a Christian relationship with God. And some people, I believe, have a kind of a casual Christian relationship with God. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about lordship. Now, lordship is something that we have to, we have to process our way through because the concept, and I'm not going to get too far into it because it's a whole series of teaching, and it would do all of us well to, to think about lordship and maybe do a personal study in it. Because it, it affects every single decision that you make, especially about social issues. Uh, technically, technically, there would be absolutely nothing wrong. Technically, with me going to Longhorn, I could have gone to Longhorn for lunch today. And going over to the bar and sitting at the bar, ordering a glass of water with a lime in it, and eating my lunch at the bar at Longhorn Steakhouse. Technically, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a reason why I choose not to. It's not legalism, it's love. I choose not to do it because I don't want to make anybody else stumble. That brings me great peace. I started to go to Longhorn today to eat lunch, and I, I, I eat there sometimes. And I, I, but if I had, I didn't because it was so crowded while I was there, so I just went home. But if I had, I would have requested a 
a table in, in the main restaurant. I, I wouldn't belly up to the bar. I'd eat at the restaurant. And I'm not saying everybody else has to feel that way, but I've always adopted a policy of wherever it's within my power, not to cause somebody to stumble, I will do that. Technically, it's not a sin to smoke a cigar. Cigars aren't really habit-forming, like because you're not supposed to inhale them unless you really want to die soon. You just puff them and smell the smoke. So there's really no sinful, sinful quotient per se. Technically, I, I, me and Mark could go have cigars together. We don't. Partly because they smell nasty, but in, the, in another way, it's a lordship issue. Lordship is how much of me, how much of my life, how much of my decision-making process am I willing to submit, willingly to submit, willingly to surrender to the lordship of Christ? It's not about legalism. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a heart that is so in love with God. And I'm not saying this is my heart. I'm just saying a Christian that is so in love with God and so in love with people and so passionate. And of course, I want that to be me, and I try hard for that to be me, and I want that to be you too, and we all want that to be us. But I'm not putting anybody on a pedestal here. The, the idea of it, though, is what I'm talking about, that our hearts are so in love with God and with the people he died for. Let me tell you something, and I, and I just want this to sink into you. There, there are some mean people in this world. I mean, and it seems like it's getting worse every day. Let me tell you something. You're not going to get to heaven. Now, listen to me. This is important. You're not, none of us are going to heaven loving God and hating people. It's just not going to work. We got to love the same thing Jesus loved and died for, and that's people. We got to love God, and we got to love what, Jesus, what God loves. For God so loved the world. In fact, God said in his word that it was never his intention for anybody to go to hell. That hell was designed for the devil and his angels, not even us at all. So let me encourage you to make some, make some internal choices about lordship. And, and here's, here's, if I don't say anything else you get tonight, get this. Let Christ and let the Holy Spirit have lordship over your emotions. If you can do that, you can do anything. Because those emotions, 95% of the Christians I've ever met in my life are dominated and engineered through life by how they feel and what they, what they think and, and their own perceptions, their own feelings, their own emotions. It just dominates their lives. I'm telling you the truth. Very few Christians rise above their emotions and get to the place of actually living by faith. They live by what they feel. So number one, there can be no real peace apart from God. I'm talking about personal relationship. I'm talking about personal surrender. I'm talking about lordship. I'm talking about trust in a way that is beyond. I, I trust Mark to give me his hand to pull me up out of the lake when I fall out of the boat. You know, it's more than that. It's trusting God with every heartbeat, every breath you take, the well-being of your family, your future when you don't know what it looks like and you don't, what, don't know what next steps are going to be. But, but you know you got to move and, and do things and go here or do that or change this or do whatever. Trusting God when, when you don't know what that's going to look like. That's what I'm talking about. There can be no real peace apart from God. Number two, peace is the byproduct of faith in God and confidence in yourself. Now, I said both of those, and, and it seems counterintuitive to say confidence in yourself, that sounds carnal, 
That sounds egotistical. That sounds arrogant. Listen, having a little bit of confidence in yourself, I didn't say arrogance or self-centeredness or selfishness. I said a little confidence in yourself. It is not sinful. It's not ungodly. It's not wrong. It's one of the most healthy things you can do is to develop a little bit of self-confidence. If you don't have a little bit of self-confidence, you will never do what I'm doing right now. Did you know what the number one fear of human beings is on a, on a survey of over a million people? Number one fear is not death. It is public speaking. Number one. Did you know that? It's amazing to me. I, I guess I've been doing it so long. I'm, you could put a meter on me. My pulse is just the same as it always, same as it ever was. <laughs> but peace is the byproduct of faith in God and confidence in yourself. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean that when we... When we walk through life, if you trust God implicitly, if we have faith in His, in His name, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, think about that. Jehovah Nisi, our banner. Jehovah El Shaddai, the God that is more than enough. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals us. Think about that. If we just have faith in the names of God, We've got it made. What if we think about the track record God's established in the Word? If we go back and look at the things God has done, His interaction with mankind, the way He, is, he has performed these miracles with always the motivation of love, and not just, not just the great miracles, but the little ones. Like Jesus telling Peter, go fishing, and the first fish you catch, look in his mouth, and there'll be a coin. Pay our taxes with that. I mean, what if somebody paid your taxes for you on a fishing trip? That might be a little thing, but boy, it's a big thing to me. Peace is the byproduct of faith in God. When you trust someone, you have peace. If you trust your husband, you, and he is proven trustworthy, when he goes on a road trip for the job and he's going to be gone all week, you don't worry and you're not tense and you're not upset. You have peace because you trust him. Peace is the byproduct of of faith. You have faith in his character. You have faith in his love for you. You have faith in his commitment to your vows. You have faith in his desire to, to be there for you and not to do anything to hurt your heart. Peace is the byproduct of faith. When you trust God, you don't worry. You're not anxious. You don't stress. Did you know that there was manna every day for the Israelites? Until the first day they crossed the Jordan River after 40 years. They crossed the Jordan River and set foot on the promised land. On that day, the manna came no more. Isn't that amazing? But for all that time, they could trust God that he was going to give them manna. Isn't that something? And he did. But when the time came, it was like, okay, now it's time for you to, you're in the promised land now. There's grapes the size of softballs around here. Go, go make your... Make your living. Confidence in yourself is not arrogance. Confidence in yourself comes by way of the things you've learned, the things you're capable of doing, the skill sets you possess, the knowledge that you have, the wisdom you've accrued over time. And all of these things are gifts from God. I have great confidence in my ability to survive in the wilderness. Great confidence. I know how to build shelter with almost nothing. I know how to make a fire with two sticks. Uh, I know how to trap animals. Um, I know how to 
eat a whole bunch of wild edible plants, not enough. Uh, that's my weakness. I need, to, I need to know more about wild edibles. One day I'm going to hire a botanist and spend all day taking notes and pictures and listening to him talk. Show me this. What's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? They're going to get sick of me before that day's over. I may take a whole course in botany just so I'll know uh, that mushroom will kill you. <laughs> I know one mushroom to eat. If I saw one, I would pray over it and eat it, but don't eat mushrooms if, you don't, if you're not really an expert. Just don't eat any. And pray over the ones you buy at the grocery store because somebody picked them too. <laughs> so. Confidence in yourself is not arrogance or self-absorption. Confidence in yourself is the realization that God has blessed you with some abilities. Now, as long as we understand where those abilities came from, now, yes, we have to assert ourselves. God didn't send Gabriel to my living room and say, Roland, I am the angel Gabriel. Now I will teach you how to make fire with sticks. That didn't happen. I had to find the sites, go online, study it, listen to it, watch what the guy did, go out there and do it myself over and over and over and over and over. And I can, I can, it's just easy now. And a whole bunch of different ways, flint and steel, magnification, uh, just all kind of different ways to make fire, purify water, erect a shelter, all kind of stuff. And there's, there's, there's great self-confidence in that. Where I wouldn't have a great deal of self-confidence is taking a bolt of cloth and, and sewing Anthony a pair of blue jeans out of that. Some of you ladies might have that skill set. You might be confident in that. But I wouldn't be confident in that. So we all have different gifts, Romans 12. And it says, but we're all bound together as a body. My hand can do things that my foot can't do. I hope. <laughs> if my foot can do everything, <laughs> something weird going on. My ear can do things that my knee can't do. But my knee can do things my ear can't do. On and on it goes. So our abilities, God gives them to us as he determines that we need them. And there are some things, I'm just going to say it, there are some things you can just as a person decide you want to learn, and you can go learn that. And you don't have to spiritualize it at all. It can just be something you learn. It, everything in life doesn't have to be God did it. Some things you can do. God's not going to pay your bills for you. He's going to give you the ability to make the money to pay the bills, but you've got to write the check or click on the computer and hit send. Peace is the byproduct of faith in God and confidence in yourself. Do you have confidence in your own walk with God? Let me, let me posit a question to you that that causes many Christians to stop in their tracks and really seriously look hard at their own maturity as a child of God. If you had ultimate power, just like God, could God trust you with it? What would you do with it right now? If this being just appeared like Q from the Enterprise, like Q from Star Trek The Next Generation, and he said, you're one of us now. And he snapped his fingers at you and a little light appeared. And you had the same power. He could do anything. What would you do? Could God trust you with that kind of power? That is a profound question that tests us to the very core of our being because it, it, it speaks to the motivations we have. It speaks to any issues of unforgiveness we may have. It speaks to priorities. It speaks to profoundly matters of character. It speaks to character profoundly. What would you do with that kind of power? Confidence in yourself is not just your fleshly ability to do stuff, make fire or sew or cook. 
your, your confidence more so in yourself is that you have walked with God to the extent that you're never puffed up about it, you're never arrogant about it, but you know that you know that you know that the first priority in your life is your own walk with God. Uh, that's the kind of confidence you need in yourself that, that no matter what happens, you're never going to stray from God. Now, that does not mean that we put ourselves in temptation's way unnecessarily. Now, I've never been a drinker. Now, I don't like alcohol in any form. Even when, even when I wasn't really living for God, I never had a deal with, with, with alcohol. Just don't like it, just never did. If I were an assassin for the CIA, I still wouldn't drink. I just don't like it. So that's not a thing for me. But it may be a thing for you. And you can pick your poison, your sin, your, your compromise, your issue, whatever it is. But it is, it is when you fall in love with Jesus Christ so intensely that you know in your heart that the most tempting thing, not that you would find out or seek it out or try to test yourself, but you know in your heart the most tempting thing that you ever encountered in your life, if suddenly there it was before you, and suddenly you're in a place where nobody will ever know, nobody will ever see, it's totally you, totally alone, and, and you can do this and nobody's ever going to know. Knowing within yourself... With God's help, I know I can overcome this because I love him and I'm going to walk in character. Uh, by the way, character is very important. That's what the fruit of the Spirit's all about, our character. Number three, peace is within us, not outside us. Peace will always be within you not outside you. If you wait for all your circumstances to line up perfectly in order for you to live in peace, you'll never live in peace. If you wait for everybody in this world to like you and invite you to their clubs and get you to join their social circles and approve of you and affirm you, the Assemblies of God uh, put out a magazine and they put one out years ago and there was an article in it and I don't remember who wrote it. But it was one of the worst articles I've ever seen in a magazine in my life. And it was called, What Men Need. And everything in it was nothing that men need. It was just what men think they need. Maybe that was the, that was the whole focus of the article. But it wasn't what men really need. It was what they think they need. And one of the things it said that men really need, but see, the article took itself very seriously. And one of the top things men need is affirmation. Let me set you free, brother, sister, you do not read my lips. You do not need affirmation from any other human being to establish you as a child of God or a human being worth your own salt. You don't need anybody's acceptance. You don't need anybody's approval. And, and as long as you think you do, you're going to be subject now to the societal circle that surrounds you, if whether they affirm you or not. Who did, who did John have affirming him on Patmos when he was in the Lord's spirit on the Lord's day and penned the revelation? There was nobody to affirm him. I can cite example after example after example to you all get sick of hearing it. The point is, if you long for affirmation from other people, your kite is blowing in the wrong direction. It's just not what you need. What you need is to have inside you the reality of God's power operative in your spirit you need god's favor you need god's approval you need god's affirmation not man's god's 
And that, that gives you peace inside you. How can, how can Jesus be asleep in the boat when the storm is so bad, the disciples think it's gonna, the boat's going to sink, we're all going to drown. I mean, it had to be a bad storm. There's a lake not far from my house called Lake Moultrie. I fished in that little lake all my life, but rarely in a boat. I'd always go with my dad in the wintertime when all the 20-foot gators were supposedly hibernating. I kid you not. And we'd put on waders and go out there in the cold water, sometimes break the ice, and fish with these little spoons. We'd catch bass like crazy in the middle of the wintertime, January, February. And then in, the, in a couple of months, <laughs> these dinosaur-sized gators come out. It's like we were, we were wading out there just a little while ago. But Lake Moultrie is a shallow lake, and it's round. And it's about 70,000 acres. And I have heard reports on the Bassmasters tournaments and weather reports, and you can look online tonight when you get home if you want. But there, there have been waves on that lake, 9 and 10 feet tall on the lake. That's amazing. How, how, how can you be in that, in a little wooden boat, and be asleep and be at peace? It's because peace is always in here. It's never out here. And that, that, that means financially in your life. That means relationally in your life. You know, you look at social media and you see some of the posts that people make. And some of these people have, have been in your church at, at times in the past. And you think, what, what's, going, what, what's, what's going through your mind right now? You know? And you pray for them and you, you go on to something productive. But uh, peace is within us. It's not outside of us. Remember that when storms come to your life, and I hate to say something so churchy, storms come to your life, but you know what they do. You know, I, I, read, a, I read a thing from a very, very popular pastor today on Facebook, and it was literally, it was just a, a chain letter of cliches. It was one cliche hooked to another one all the way down to the end of it. And after I got done with it, I said, man, that was just one cliche after another. And then I thought, yeah, it was, but every bit of it was true. And everything it said was straight out of the Word of God. So cliche or not, and there's another example of, well, yeah, but we just need to find a new way to say it. Get over that and just appreciate the truth for what it is. His son will say it a different way, but he'll be saying the same truth, okay? It's important to understand that storms are going to come to your life. Difficult times, hardships, uphill battles, challenges, hindrances, obstacles, entire frontal assaults that satan has been engineering for years just to take you out at a specific time in your life are going to happen and i'll tell you something else that'll rob your peace things that disappointed you bitterly if you're not careful that disappointment will get inside you and it'll percolate and it'll just sit there and you know what let me tell you something about disappointment some disappointments are legitimate sometimes stuff happens that just shouldn't have happened did you know that wrong is wrong but how you respond to that is going to determine whether you have peace about it or not they're still going to answer to god for what they did but you get to decide how it's going to affect you and that's the truth with all of it no matter what's happening out here i have the right of refusal to allow that thing to get inside me you know what sinks boats? What sinks boats is not the water outside the boat. As long as the water is outside the boat, the boat floats. Only when the water gets in the boat does the boat sink. Think about that. Keep the stuff that's supposed to be outside you, outside you. And don't let it inside you. 
Because when it gets in you and starts eating you, it's going to sink your peace. Number four, pressures, stresses, and irritations are part of life. It's all in how we respond to them. And that is our choice. You get to choose how you respond. And this is why I think that peace can be, can be administratively, to use a, a, a business term in its connectivity with our own psyche, I think that we can administrate a little bit of peace in our, in our lives by, by adroitly using patience. You don't have to respond to life and to circumstances and to events in your life with the first response thought that pops in your head. I'm going to tell you something that's real popular right now. Real popular for people to say, well, I just don't have a filter. I just say whatever comes in my head, it comes right out of my mouth. I have a word for folks like that. Grow up. You're not going to make a lot of friends in this world, and you're not going to win a lot of people to Jesus without some kind of filter between here and here. If you don't have a filter, there's Ace Hardware right over there on Church Street. Go get you a filter. (laughs) We all need a filter, guys. Uh, I've got almost purebred English, but before that, there's, I've got Viking blood all in my bloodline. Kristen's the one that told me that uh, just a couple of weeks ago. She's done a lot of research on our family. Our family go, goes back way back, even before England. And we were Vikings. So I have a... <laughs> well, there's going to be a conversation when we get home. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Donna goes, that explains a lot. Yeah, thank you. We were, we were the group that actually invaded England and took it over and killed all the Saxons and, and settled the place. So, yeah. So, um, I have, in my life, I have a, a uh, how can I say it, volcanic, um, nuclear type of a temper. Uh, I walk out in the yard and get angry. Grass just dies. Birds fall out of the sky, you know, earthworms. I have a bad temper. You know what I found out? Mature Christians don't have bad tempers. You ask her. I'm always even keeled, man. The only time I'm going to get really uptight is if you break in my house at 3 in the morning. You got a problem. You got about 45 problems (laughs) or more of all different sizes and calibers. But I'm serious. I, I used to have a horrible temper and... I used to just not care what the result was. Kind of thought it was fun, actually. <laughs> but God helped me with that. <laughs> Y'all are supposed to laugh when I make faces like that. Y'all are like, is he serious? <laughs> no. I made a choice. I responded to my own nature by deciding I need to grow up in this area. How am I going to please God? When I have a volatile temper, it's like nitroglycerin. You have to walk around. If you shake it hard, it's going to blow up. That doesn't bring any pleasure to the kingdom of God. So puffing out our chest and acting like we're bad dudes because we've got a short fuse, that's a sign of immaturity, and we need to grow up so that people can be at peace around us. I try to, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, so they shall see God. It doesn't give any promises to people with anger issues and bad tempers. In fact, the Bible says man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God requires, James chapter 1. 
We're supposed to grow past that. Every little two-year-old kid has a hot temper. Violet. Sometimes I think Samantha could change her name to Violent. She has a temper already. And she's got Ethel Merman's voice. I mean, it's amazing. That little girl can scream. She starts screaming and the dogs just go crazy. <laughs> but she's so cute and adorable. But when, but when, and she's a good baby almost all the time. She's really a good baby almost all the time. But like any baby, if something ticks her off, it's amazing. So fast. Two-year-olds, you take a toy from them. Go ahead. We're all born. We're all born with a short fuse and a bad temper. And I, I, I've had people say, well, uh, well, it's me Irish heritage, I tell you. I can't help it. Yes, you can help it. You can help the bad temper just as you can help the whiskey, I tell you. You can help it all. If it's just a matter of choice, lad, I tell you it is. We have to choose how we respond to life. We get to choose. I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm going to be a peaceful person because, and listen, this is huge. There's a big difference in actually having peace and dealing with people from a peaceful spirit. That's one thing. But having a bubbling, seething lava bed of anger right underneath a cool crust of an image you project is a totally different thing altogether. One is victory. One is image projection. And you still don't have victory because somebody's going to step through that crust. We went on a cruise many, many years ago to uh, the Caribbean, and we went to St. Lucia. St. Lucia is the most beautiful island to, to me. I uh, just love the big pitons out there, gorgeous. And we went, we went I think it was on St. Lucia, we went to, to, to tour uh, a volcano, uh, a, a dormant volcano. And they had this wooden walkway that looked fairly new, you know, real sturdy, well-built. And we walked out on it, and the guide, the guide was talking to us, and he said, uh, you know, we have this new wooden walkway you can see here, and the reason this, it was, we used to just walk out on the, on the lava bed. He said, and one day we were out here on the lava bed, and somebody just fell through the crust into the lava, and, and they died. So we built the walkway. <laughs> I'm over there going, thank you, Jesus, for the walkway. Thank you, Jesus, for the walkway. What a horrible way to die. My goodness, it's, and, of course, they never saw him because the lava's moving. And all, they just dropped right through it. And you can see the vents where the smoke was coming out. It's, it is not enough for us to have a cool covering, just a control mechanism over an issue that is still toxic and burning in our lives. That is not victory. That's better than nothing, but it's not victory. We need to grow to the point that the lava underneath is cooled, and it's not an issue anymore we sat down at a restaurant with a group of young people one time and one of the girls in the group there was a picture of a margarita on an advertisement in the restaurant and she sat down she saw it and she went oh my god she grabbed it she said i don't need to see that and i thought there's a problem you don't have victory over that if you had now i'm not saying we should put ourselves in temptation's way but if just a picture of that so elicits the kind of response from you that you can't even look at it, you don't have victory over that yet. Guys, we've got to grow to the place that these alluring things of the world don't torture us so much, not because we're inhuman, but because we love God so much more than we love the compromise. We're so much more in Him, in love with Him, than we are the seemly, seedy things of this life. 
So it's all in how we respond. Number five, eliminate things that steal your peace or feed your negativity. Now, you know me. I have always kept abreast of politics. And I really kept abreast of politics in this last election. I brought a lot of it across the pulpit, almost uh, to a point of counterproductivity. And it was necessary. I really wanted us to, to vote to... I really wanted us to, it would have been, it would have been horrific, just going to be honest with you, if Hillary Clinton had won the election. It would have just been horrific. So I, was, I don't apologize for bringing it to you, I never will. And I, I keep you abreast of things that are going on, and, and, and even now, if certain, some things happen in the world or in America that I, I deem worthy of, of bringing them to you for prayer, I'll bring them to you. But I, I am going to tell you that probably the chief thing in my life, this, this thing started eating on me, um, back in January. Because when, here's what I thought. I'm, I'm just going to, you're my family, I'm just going to share with you. I thought when, when anybody, any conservative, I, Donald Trump wasn't my first choice, but hey, he won, let's get behind him and support him. Any conservative, I thought when they won, surely that the Republicans in Congress, the House of Representatives and the Senate, surely the Republicans would rally behind them and turn this country around. And when I realized that the Democrats, who are marginalized and have lost more elections in the last 15 years, it's unbelievable. They're, it's unbelievable that the Republicans listen to them at all right now. They're, they're a party of, of incredible loss. If you go back and study how many seats and how many elections from the president all the way down to local government that the Democrats have lost, it's incredible. And yet, to watch television, you'd never know it. You'd think they were just a few votes off from the Republicans because the media twists things like that. And when I saw how the Democrats still are intimidating the Republicans, it seems to me, and if I hear one more word from Chuck Schumer, I don't know what I'm going to do. And the Republicans, the Republicans acting like they can't find their backside with both hands, don't know what to do, and can't, can't pass anything. We've got the White House, the Senate, and the House, and we can't repeal Obamacare. So right around February, I decided, you know what? And I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I was driving around every day just seething, and I, and I finally decided I'm angry. I'm angry all the time. I'm angry all day long. What's got me so angry? So I started doing some, some inventory, and I realized I'm mad about the direction of this country. I'm angry about politics. Every time I listen to Rush or Hannity or Fox News, I get a little bit angrier at how stupid these people can be. So I made a decision. I did. I made a decision. I backed away. I backed away. I hardly ever listen to Rush now. I hardly ever listen to Hannity. I'll, I'll, I'll actually get my news in written form so that I don't have to hear these people talk. I, I get my news off of a the Drudge Report or Breitbart, that's where I get my news. Uh, both of those are excellent sources of news, by the way, Drudge, Matt Drudge, Drudge Report, and Breitbart News. Um, I hardly ever watch Fox News anymore on TV. Of course, I never watch any other of the fake news places, but I just backed away, and I backed away by choice. Well, that means you don't know what's going on. No, I didn't say that. I keep abreast of what's going on in the world. I have to because I preach it all the time. But I don't have to immerse myself in all the, 
the details of it and the attitudes that swirl around it and allow myself to get sucked into the vortex of all the negativity. I can just keep abreast of the high points and not let it get into my spirit. Now, that's my choice. I, am, I, am, I know me well enough to know what toxifies me and what doesn't. And when you realize that something impacts you negatively, you got some choices to make. I'm not asking you to be ignorant of the news. You know how I feel about that. But I'm asking you, is something stealing your peace? Is something stealing your peace? Eliminate things that steal your peace or feed your negativity. Number six, stop seeing yourself as a meme about a frazzled, stressed, disorganized person. Just stop. I have a Pinterest account. I'm not ashamed to admit that. I love Pinterest. It's a great website. You, uh, you get to just pin all these things. I've got all this stuff on my outdoor board. A lot of people think that's a website for women. Well, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. I'm not a woman, and I love it. So there. That settles that. Um, but on Pinterest, you'll find a lot of these little posters and memes and e-boards and all these different things. And a lot of them talk about how you know, you're just frazzled and stressed and, and everything's crazy and people think you're normal and all this stuff, but you're really not. You're crazy with stress. Stop seeing yourself that way. The Bible says as a man thinks that himself, so he is. You know, I'm going to say that. Because it's so true. If you see yourself as somebody who can't keep their house clean, you're not going to. If you see yourself as late perpetually and people joke about it and the whole, you'd be late for your own funeral, I know it. Stop. That's not, a, that's not a compliment to you. Stop being late for everything. Stop living in a dirty house. Stop having dirty laundry strewn everywhere. Stop having four feet of dishes in your sink that are dirty. That's not a good witness for the kingdom of God. And it steals your peace. It steals your peace. It's hard to have peace in a filthy place. I'm just being honest with you. I don't have time. Come on. We have time to do the things we think are important. I'm not fussing at anybody. I'm challenging us to be all-in Christians, to be excellent at each endeavor. Stop seeing yourself as a meme about a frazzled, stressed, disorganized person. If you think of yourself that way, that's how your life will be. If you think of yourself as perpetually out of shape, you'll always be out of shape. If you see yourself as somebody who can't do math, you'll never be good at math. If you see yourself as somebody who's poor and your family's been poor and you're going to be poor all your life because all you know is poverty, then you will always be poor. I am telling you how you perceive yourself and your life is going to have an imprint on you powerfully. So start seeing yourself the way God sees you. God never looks and says, my children are paupers. My children are defeated all the time at every turn. My children are disorganized and chaotic. God says the opposite. God is not the author of chaos and confusion. You're blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you come in, blessed when you go out. You're above only, not beneath the head, not the tail. That's what the Bible says about us. Nowhere does it tell us that we're going to be defeated and beat up and lost all over and over and over. Start living up to who God says you are. Next, clean your house, your car, and space at work, and live in some semblance of order. Now, this is a very practical thing, and some people see, and listen to me, this is important. Some people don't see a connection between how their house, their car, and their workplace looks and their walk with God. But I'm here to tell you it all goes together. If God is not the author of chaos, why should we be? 
I'm not saying I, I, need, I need to come check your house with a white glove. But I am saying if I have to tiptoe through the dirty stuff to get to your table, there's a problem. And if your house never looks good enough for company just to drop by, and, and I say this to you with tongue-in-cheek because right now things at my house with, with Samantha moving in and getting ready and different things happening, baby stuff everywhere, it's, it's not chaotic, but it's, it's not like it normally is. But, we, but it'll get there. It just takes time. We predominantly normally live in a neat, tidy house. It's not germ-free. It's not aseptic. It's, it's not always perfect. We live there. But we do our best to keep it in some semblance of order. Now, listen, the reason you want to do that is not because you're trying to earn God's love. God loves you whether you've got 1,700 dishes in the sink or not. That's not an issue here. The issue is, and I've proved it because when I was in college, I rebelled against all my parents' good housekeeping techniques, and I decided to live like a slob. When, when you live in a sloppy, unkempt, untidy way, it affects your peace. It affects your discipline. It affects your self-worth. It affects, affects how you... Psychologists have done intensive studies on this. It does matter how your house, how your car looks. It matters. And all of us could probably do better in the car area. Mine's not perfect. Uh, our house isn't perfect. But hey, uh, this is just for you. I'm not, I'm not fussing at anybody. I'm just throwing out a challenge to all of us. Let's take a look at how we, the environment in which we surround ourselves on a day-to-day basis, that has an impact on us. Because we see that as a reflection of ourselves subconsciously. We see it, we see disorder around us. It's hard to be peaceful in a disorderly place. If you went to a hotel and you checked in, they gave you the key and you opened the door, and the bed wasn't made, and the bathroom had stuff all over it, and the floor had trash on it, and there was stuff everywhere, and you'd, you'd immediately call the front desk and demand another room. It's because we like to stay in neat places. We like to stay in nice places. We went on that cruise. It was so cool because every morning after we went out and came back in, the, the housekeeper would come in, and they'd take our towels, and they'd make them into animals, and They'd hang the monkey from the light and put my shades on them or something cute like that. It was so neat. We looked forward to what kind of little animal are they going to make out of the towels. And in the evenings, they'd turn our bed down to be two little chocolate mints. If I ever go on another cruise, I'm going to tell whoever does that, I hate chocolate mint. I want milk chocolate with almonds in it, all right? Don't put no mint on my pillow. But hey... Let's all, let's all look at the way we live every day. And let's see if, if our environment that we might, you know, we don't have a whole lot of power over a whole lot of things in our lives. We don't have power over the government. You don't have really power over what the school does with your kids. We don't have power over the, the, the national government. We don't have a lot of power over the local government. But there's a few things you have power over. And how you keep and how I keep the space we live in and the cars we drive and the space we work in, we do have power over that. And an orderly, neat place really does make you feel more at peace. It makes you feel a more, a more well-ordered life increases your own sense of well-being and command of your immediate environment. There's great peace in that. All right. Next, play some beautiful music. I'm telling you, man, just learn how to play some beautiful music. I know Mark talked about James Brown. And if that's your idea of beautiful music, more power to you. He likes classical too. I love it. I, I tell you what, I listen to all the time. I have a, 
I have a Pandora station that my son Jeremy told me. He said, Dad, go to, go to your Pandora radio and just create a station called Now We Are Free from Gladiator. And so I did. I created a station, Now We Are Free, Gladiator. And it plays the most beautiful music I've ever heard in my life. It plays in my house almost all the time. I go do exercise or, or I, I study or I clean up or I'm out running errands or going to the hospital. I, I got the headphones on my phone and I'm playing Pandora because my vehicle's too old to play Pandora through the system. So it's mostly instrumental. And I'm not saying you have to do that. But whatever, and I know you might think that beautiful music is is Megadeth and ACDC, but I, I just want you to know that hard music doesn't, doesn't really contribute to peace. Try to, try to find something beautiful and soft and, and easy to listen to. It, it helps you. It, it really does help you. It calms your spirit. They've proven this with plants. Plants can tell. <laughs> Whatever you think is beautiful music to you, Start playing more of that. I encourage you to back away from all the talk radio. Back away from just letting the radio play whatever the DJ wants to play. And you start choosing what you listen to in your car and in your headphones. And choose carefully because the input in our minds has an impact on us. I'm very careful what, what music I put in my head because music is powerful. So be careful about it too. Next to last... Consider your acquaintances. Think about your acquaintances. You want to keep your peace? Think about your acquaintances, your friends, your social circle. Because it only takes one person to steal your peace. It only takes one person to feed your weakness. It only takes one person to nourish your negativity. One. You get one person who's, who's, who's got, got your ear, and they're a grumbler, they're a complainer, they're, they're a negative person. You work at a place, and they're always ying, 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 ying about the management and the employees, them, us versus them, and they hate the management and all these stupid people, and, ah, and the principals, ah, and all this school board. Ah. It may be all true, but keeping it rolled up all the time is not going to help your peace. If you can take some kind of action to correct it, that's great. But just vexing over it and fussing about it and grumbling about it and complaining about it, it's like going through a cow pasture and just taking a stick with you and stirring up every cow patty you come to. It's not really going to do any good. It's just going to stink real bad. Kind of the way it is with grumbling and complaining. I'm, t I'm telling you stuff that I've, I've experienced both as an employee and as a manager at several different places. You cannot have peace if you associate with people at the workplace whose default mechanism is negativity. You just can't you'd be better off to marginalize their friendship and keep your peace. I have, I have known people that for the... For the and you know what? Friendship is an emotion. You're, it's not, not necessarily always a relationship. It's more of an emotion sometimes. I've known people that for the sake of a friend they've known for 20 years, they would allow that person presence in their life to, to basically torture them all the time, unwittingly, because they've been friends for so long. I am, I'm encouraging you today to take stock of your friends. Take stock of the voices that you hear on a regular basis. And that, that complaining, that whining, that negative, that jealous, that envious, that malcontented voice, that's the voice that's taking your peace. I'm not asking you to be mean to anybody. But sometimes just backing away a little bit 
You have to say anything, just back away. You don't need that voice pounding your peace all the time. It will not help you. Last, the closer you grow to God, the more peace you're going to have. One of the reasons we're doing all in is to try to get everybody as close to God as we possibly can. Because the Bible says, I will give you peace that passes all understanding. Think about that. Think about that. Peace that passes all understanding. Peace in the midst of the storm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear will have no hold on me. I will fear no evil. I mean, those are powerful words that mean things. Those words mean things in everyday life in America in 2017. Those aren't just archaic Bible verses that we've all heard since Sunday school days. Those are powerful truths that the Bible says will happen in our lives if we put them into play. It's our choice. The closer you grow to God, the more peace you're going to have. Because the closer you get to God, the less, the less enamored you are with yourself, your flesh, your carnality, your opinion, all the things of our, of our human nature. We become, we become less trusting of our human nature, and we become much more trusting of the nature of the Holy Spirit that abides within us. Peace. My peace I give to you, Jesus said, not as the world gives. What do you mean by that? He meant what, when the world says peace, it really doesn't understand peace. It means temporary reprieve from insanity, soon to return. But the peace God gives is more than just a quiet in the eye of the storm. The peace God gives is lasting peace. It's peace irrespective of the circumstances that surround us. It is peace irrespective of other people's opinions. It is peace regardless of how many times or how major the disappointments and hurts of our past have been. It is peace regardless of the uncertainties of our future. It is peace knowing that God holds us in the hollow of his hand. And that no matter what, we're with him. The story is told with this I'll close. There's a book called The Story of With. It's a weird book. Don't read it late at night. <laughs> it's a good book. But it's written in a very strange style. And there's a story of a little boy, I think five years old or so, maybe a little older, getting in the truck with his dad. His dad said, son, come on, let's go. Little boy hopped in the truck. Dad cranked up the truck, put it in gear, drove to the edge of the driveway, pressed the brakes, looked over to the sun and said, don't you want to know where we're going? And the little boy looked at his dad and said, I don't care where we're going, Dad, as long as I'm with you. The story of with. It really doesn't matter where our lives take us as long as we're with Christ. There's a lot of peace in that. Defend your peace. Don't let the devil take it. Don't let people take it. Don't let circumstances take it. Don't let your own mind playing tricks on you take it. Don't let the past take it. Don't let the circumstances that surround you today take it. Don't let worries about tomorrow take it. Live in the peace that Jesus died for because Isaiah 53 says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Nobody ever talks about this part. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. 
And we all rush to get to the fourth part. By his wounds we are healed. But the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Jesus Christ on the cross has already paid for our peace. Defend it. It is yours. It costs way too much for us to give it away to the banal things of life. Let's all stand.